0: I never thought that I would be the prodigal daughter. I remember studying that after all of this was over and just thinking, man, I finally understand how you can go farther than you want to go and how sin can keep us way longer than we want to stay.
1: Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Welcome to the second episode of season seven. (laughs) We are so thankful to be back. Mm -hmm. Happy fall happy back to school. And today we are bringing you a story from one of our live gatherings in Oxford, Mississippi. They actually had a live gathering this summer, one of our few summer gatherings. They brought in Courtney Golden to share. And one thing we want to tell you real quick before we get into this story is that there is a mention of suicide in this episode. So if that is a trigger for you, just know that there is some discussion Mm -hmm. of that in this story. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, when I first heard Courtney's story, it just reminded me the importance of just being grounded in God's Word and being aware— that no one is immune to spiritual warfare, for sure. And that's certainly what happened to her. Through her story, you're going to learn that there is nothing you have done that is too far gone for God to not be able to redeem you from. God's love and forgiveness has absolutely no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you hear that through her
3: story. Before Courtney's story, as we move into fall, we do want to encourage you to check out our Bible studies. We offer two different Bible studies in one series called When God shows up. One is Stories of Hope and the other is Stories of Freedom. And basically, it's eight podcasts that are centered around small group questions and scripture and personal reflection. We have received great feedback on these studies, not only people that have done them in a small group, maybe at church or in their neighborhood, but also just as individual studies. So go to our website at storytellerslive.org and check out our Bible studies. You can also click the link in our show notes. Here's Courtney.
0: My name is Courtney Golden, and I'm incredibly honored to be here. I get to share my story of restoration and of hope. One of the things that I'm most excited about, because I'm on the other side of it, and I'm standing here today redeemed. And so if you're like me, maybe you've had just one day, just one day in your life that has changed it forever. Maybe you've had a day of celebration, and that's when your life changed. Or maybe you were like me, and it was a day of mourning. If you had told me, that October 7th, 2018 would have changed my life. I don't think I would have believed you. But more than that, if you had told me the way that I was going to react the years to following, I probably would have looked you flat out in the face and called you a liar. There's no way that I would have done any of those things. But I'm here to tell you <laughs> that I figured out how you can be so weak and allow the enemy a stronghold in your life. I'm ashamed to admit the number of times that I was so prideful and arrogant when I saw people fall into sin and make terrible choices in their life. I would always ask, man, how could they do that? How could they, how could they go so, so far into this? Well, let me tell you, Proverbs 16, 18 is true. And I have lived every syllable of that verse. Pride comes before the fall. So, <laughs> to start, I had one of the most amazing lives you could ever imagine. I had a loving husband. I had children who are the absolute lights of my life. I had a ministry that was thriving, and I was surrounded by people that you could only dream to know, people whose names are on books and who stood on stages, who were mentoring me and pouring into my life. It was a dream that I got to wake up to every day. I had friends. I had joy, that real joy. There were losses, and there were valleys, and there were hard days, but I can assure you there was nothing like what was to come. I accepted Jesus as my savior when I was seven years old. And y'all, I love Jesus as much as a sweet seven-year-old little girl could ever love him. I had incredible people that poured into my life and that discipled me. Then God was so gracious to me and he called me to ministry when I was in college. I got to go to seminary and I have a master's degree in women's ministry. (laughs) Y'all, I was taught... Scripture. I knew Scripture. I knew the big stories. If you're if you're well versed in church, you know the big stories. You know the Noah. You know Jesus, obviously, but you also have heard the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. I never thought that I would be the prodigal daughter. I remember studying that after all of this was over, and just thinking, man, I finally understand how you can go farther than you want to go and how sin can keep us way longer than we wanna stay. And so, October 7th, 2018 was a very typical Sunday in our home. We got up and went to church. Then we went to Sunday lunch with family which was another dream for me. I grew up an only child. I did not have family close to me. And so the fact that my kids got to have lunch with their grandparents and run around with cousins and aunts and uncles, I just thought, oh my gosh, like this is what a Hallmark movie is. Like, this is amazing. Like, oh my gosh, my kids are gonna love this. We went home and we took naps. And then at 4, 10 p.m., a voicemail changed my life forever. My daddy had committed suicide. Even now, talking to you today, I remember like it was yesterday. All the events of that day and the few that followed. I remember the initial shock that just came over my body. It was like it was paralyzed. I remember driving up to my parents' house, this beautiful home on top of a hill. There's a sheriff's deputy car at the bottom. We had to tell them who we were. We got to the top and there's a coroner's van and I'm just sitting here like, this isn't real. This is not happening. Everything cleared out. I remember walking into my parents. I even remember the smell. And then I remember this very eerie feeling that I had that night. It was an uneasiness. It was basically like the presence of evil. I don't really know how else to describe it. I was shocked in a way that I had never been shocked before. I didn't know what to feel. I didn't know how to feel it. And after about two weeks, I went and talked to a friend of mine who was a counselor. And I kind of explained I was numb. Like, I got nothing. I should be feeling something right now. And so she explained to me that this is the way of your body protecting itself, that it will only let out one emotion at a time, because when they all come out, you have a nervous breakdown. And I said, no, ma'am, not this girl. I don't have time for that. And this will not control me. Well, it was that day that I made the decision. This will not control me, but I will control it. And so instead of turning to the truth to get me through, I left a door for the enemy wide open. This is also when, for lack of a better term, a fog clouded everything in my life and I began open rebellion. You know when you're driving at night in heavy fog and you can literally only see a couple feet in front of you? That is the way my emotions felt. I couldn't make sense of anything at all. Everything I knew to be true was shaky. Everything I knew to be right now didn't make sense. Everything that was normal was gone. I couldn't get clarity on anything. And this feeling of this fog lasted for about three years, a solid three years. I'd never been a person to second guess myself. I was always just kind of that carefree, excited girl that just dove in headfirst. And I was like, God is going to take care of this and it's going to be so great. And it's just all going to work out. And if it doesn't, well, we're going to learn our mistakes and then we're just going to move on. And now I was this girl that was terrified, just trembling in every corner. Now, since I couldn't see real truth, I basically made a new one. I knew what should have been my godly response to this. Because I had been walking with Jesus for the majority of my life at this time. And y'all, I even went to seminary to teach other people how to love him and how how to walk with him and how to get through tragedy in their life. But I rebelled. I rebelled against every ounce of truth that I knew. And so I did this by filling my time with distractions from any and all emotions that did come. Not all the things I was doing at first were bad or sinful in and of themselves. Pouring myself into church and community projects. I even had a part-time job. I was never dealing with the pain and the trauma that had happened to me. I just shoved it down and just went through my day. Unfortunately, fortunately, those distractions became temptations. And this is when the sin really came. I felt like I was invincible. I thought I couldn't fall into sin and be tempted like those other people. That was pride. It was all pride. (laughs) That was the very tool the enemy used to grab a hold of me and to keep me chained up. Then that pride led me down a path of lying, of jealousy, of sexual immorality, of drunkenness, and flat-out unbelief that my God was big enough to change this or rescue me from the mess that I was making. I had all the resources to stop what I was doing. I had the most godly people that you could ever imagine praying and fasting for me to stop and just turn back around. I am talking giants of the faith. And so at this point, I was not only openly walking in rebellion, but I was now flat out resisting help. I remember people that had known me for years, looking so surprised when they saw me. And they said, we see our Courtney, but it's not her. Y'all, sin had affected so much of my life that it even affected how I talked and the way I carried myself. Even the look in my eyes was different. I couldn't see it. I looked in the mirror every day, and I just never saw it. Nighttime was the worst time of day for me. It was quiet. So I couldn't numb or silence anything. Now, I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe it's real. I believe when Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, it is spot on. Scripture is truth. Nighttime is when the Holy Spirit was the loudest. I remember that still, small, quiet, kind voice saying, just get up and leave. If you'll just leave. I know you can't see what I have in store for you because that fog is so thick. And y'all, I couldn't. I could not see a way out, and my faith was so shallow that I thought, I've got to figure out a plan for the Lord because He can't do it. He's not big enough. The Creator and my Savior was not big enough to rescue me from the mess that I was making. And then all of that anxiety and the weight of what I'd done would just sit down on my chest. And I would lay back down, and I'd fall back asleep, wake up exhausted the next morning, and just do it all over again. I thought, here I am, this is my life, this is my new normal, this is just what it is. Now, believe it or not, <laughs> I can remember looking forward to Sunday mornings. I remember thinking if I can just get into the walls of that church, I'll, I'll be okay. Because if I could get there, and if I could have all that worship music poured over me, if that pastor would open up the word of God, then my faith would start to strengthen. The Lord is going to rescue me. Like y'all, I thought he was just going to pick me right up out of my mess and then drop me back at home and it was all going to be okay. It's all just going to be cleaned up and ready to go. Everything was going to be fine. Now, standing on the other side of this, God is very much capable of fixing our messes. He is very much capable of cleaning it all up. He just wants us to take one step of faith towards him. Now, during one of my phone calls with one of my dear friends who was pleading with me, she asked, Courtney, when you first began to run and train for marathons, what was your first step? I said, hey, well, I would just run a mile. And she said, no, ma'am. She said, you would put your shoes on and you take a step. She said, the same applies here, Courtney. If you'll just put your shoes on and take a step forward, he will do the rest. But during the time, I couldn't wait for Sundays. I was also told by somebody very close to me that I was disgusting for going to church. How could I even show my face with the life I was living and the things I was doing? They would tell me I'm too far gone. I passed the point of redemption. I remember being so shocked. I didn't really know how to respond to them. Because I'm thinking, oh, I feel all the conviction. I feel all the weight of this. I feel all the heaviness. I am not okay with my lifestyle and I am begging for a way out of this. I just don't know how. Which now, looking back, was another form of my pride. Like I needed to figure out an escape plan for Jesus. Somehow <laughs> it works. <laughs> you just take a step and he'll do the rest. I want to stop for a minute here and just say to all those sinners out there like me church is exactly where God wants us. We should never feel ashamed to walk through those doors. You don't have to believe the lies the enemy is saying to you or the hurt others are trying to put on you. Our Savior loves us and is waiting for us to run home. I promise. I am in no way making excuses and will never, ever justify my sin. But it wasn't until I stood on this side of open rebellion that I saw just how quickly you can fall and just how wrapped up in it you can get. Man, God's Word is so good. Romans 2, four, It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. It's a lot harder than you think to stand and face your sin and your mess and those you've hurt. Sin likes to give us this false confidence. Again, I thought I was invincible. (laughs) But when all that's gone, it's hard to face reality and to humble ourselves. But it's our job as believers and as the church to accept that prodigal when they come back home, regardless of the state they're in. Now, fast forward. My sin ultimately caused death. Caused a lot of death, actually. A friend of mine reminded me of this, and she said, Courtney, I just want you to open Scripture. Because I said, how am I going to tell my kids? She said, you're going to do like you've done with everything else, and you're going to open the Bible. And I thought, man, you're right, even in this. And so I did, and I opened it to James 1, and I read them, James 1, 13 through 15. And it says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Pride was the first weapon that the enemy used to tempt me and distract me from the real source of healing I needed. I let pride and the idea that I could control the situation with my feelings and emotions with my dad begin to take me down a path of numbing everything that I was feeling, an affirmation from the wrong person, boasting in my ability to control everything around me and arrogance, anything I had been given. And it calls death. It calls death to the 15 years of my marriage. My children's lives will never look the same. My ministry was certainly dead, and I thought, well, it's never going to happen again. I mean, God's, God's called me to ministry. I have this beautiful degree that I'll never hang on a wall again. I had death to friendships. I had death to all the life as I knew it. Now, just like the prodigal son in like 15, I hit rock bottom and I was face down in the mud with pigs. And when I say I was face down, I actually was face down in my front yard in my grass <laughs> the day that the finality of all of my decisions hit me face down. And I thought it's over. Like I have no idea how to stand up and go from here Man, I remember that feeling. To be honest, it was that same shock and paralyzed feeling the day that I got that voicemail from my dad. But I stood up, I threw my hands up in the air, and I said, God, I surrender. Please let me go home. Whatever that home is, please, God, just let me go home. Now, I did what I was taught, and I stood on the promises of Scripture. First John one nine says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that night I laid it all out before the Lord and I called every one of those sins by name, every one of them by name, all the public sins that everybody else was calling me by name, but also those private sins deep down that were so dark and so destructive in my heart. I called them all by name and I laid them out before the Lord. I mean, at this point, we really going to hide something from an all-knowing God. I mean, no, he saw it. He watched the whole thing and he was grieved for the whole time. Now, I believe that home is simply a place where there's comfort and the place where we know who we are. My home looked different. It was a different address, different surroundings. But I was free from the baggage and the pain that I had been hiding and numbing. The chaos was beginning to leave. But that fog I talked about earlier was still years before that left. There may be a group who's hearing my voice who were in the middle of their sin. I promise if you'll just put your shoes on right now and just turn around, you can go home and it'll still look the same. It's going to take some work, but it'll still look the same. Then there's another group of you who are more like me. We didn't hit rock bottom until there was some finality to our decisions. I promise God's not done with us either. He's not. I remember very clearly two people in particular coming to me. Once I had confessed and I was trying to make amends with those I would hurt, I had gotten my life back right with the Lord. I was handling my consequences the best that I knew how. And they looked me square in the face and they said, I cannot believe that you were walking around smiling. How dare you after all that you did? Again, one of those times that I stopped in my tracks and I didn't know what to say, I immediately began apologizing again, trying to figure out how to fix it. How do I make amends with them again? How do I make them believe this new Courtney? Courtney. And at my next counseling session, which, by the way, I firmly believe in counseling. I think we all need a counselor. (laughs) They're really fabulous. Um, I I told her the story, and I said, Scripture says that we shouldn't be a stumbling block to others, but clearly I am for them. But it also says that I'm forgiven. I know that I have confessed my sins, and I know that they are washed clean at the cross, but they literally think that I'm mocking God right now by walking around with a smile on my face. And they don't think I'm sorry. How do I show people that I'm sorry? How do I show people that I am repentant? How do I show people that I am changed? I cannot undo what I did. I cannot take back the hurt that I caused. I can't undo the destruction that I left. So what do I do? She looked at me with the sternest look that I have seen. And we are going on about four years now. (laughs) And she said, have you asked for forgiveness? And I said, yes, probably multiple times. And she said, then you live in it. She said, that is the best example you can give to your children is you show them what forgiveness looks like. If you're going to teach them the gospel and the hope of salvation, yet you still live as though you're condemned, then what lesson does that teach them except to say that God's grace will cover their sin unless it's real big like their mama's? And she said, those people are accountable for their own sin. You're accountable for what you did, but she said you are not accountable for what they do in return. This was a hard one for me to surrender it really was because a part of my call to ministry when I was in college, God was very clear about this one thing. You leave people better, better than how you found them. Leave them better than how you found them. Whether that's a smile, a hug, sharing the gospel and seeing their whole lives change, go from death to life. Whatever it is, you better leave them better than how you found them. And I thought, well, I'm not leaving them better. I'm probably leaving them worse every time they see me. <laughs> but that's exactly what the enemy wanted. He wanted me to stay scared and hidden. This is not a surprise to the Lord. I can assure you that he did not add that part in Luke 15 when the prodigal son came home about his brother being mad for dramatic effect. He wants us to know that we're loved because he knows that consequences are real. They're very real. Forgiveness is real, but consequences are too, unfortunately. We are welcomed back home. Now, I can tell you, I have read, reread, and looked up about every commentary that I can on this passage, because I'm like, Lord, I need a step-by-step instruction to deal with my destruction. How do I apologize to these people? How do I make amends? Like, I know there was more drama. It wasn't just the one dinner where the brother got mad. Like, I know there were several other conversations, so can you give me, like, Luke 15b? I mean, I literally have prayed that prayer. Like, God, I need a little more than this. And so... (laughs) That's when God was probably laughing and was like, I mean, I've given you a lot, Courtney. And so he then took me to one of probably the most pivotal passages in my life, Isaiah 61. To give you a little bit of background on my beginnings and kind of the beginning of my story, I had a pretty tumultuous relationship with my daddy my entire life. There was lots of anger and aggression and brokenness. So to say that his suicide was devastating is quite an understatement. It's not exactly how I thought this story would end. I thought there would be some reconciliation. I thought there would be some closure. It's been probably 12 years or maybe, oh no, it's probably been like 20 years now. Golly, time, time goes fast. That I really fully surrendered that relationship to the Lord. It was not healthy. I couldn't understand why he kept wanting to hurt everybody around him. And that was causing bitterness and resentment in my own life. And that was then beginning to affect every aspect of my life. So I finally turned that over. I couldn't let this hurt turn into anger and control me, especially because I had seen this pattern play out for generations in my family. In that, God taught me a very, very valuable lesson. Forgiveness is not for the aggressor or the abuser. It's for the one hurt. My unforgiveness was my sin. When we forgive, we release that situation and that person to the Lord. We don't have control. We're called to forgive even if they never ask for it. We're to forgive as our Heavenly Father has forgiven us. It was Isaiah 61 that finally sealed that deal for me. I didn't have to live in prison to that anymore. I could forgive my dad. I could heal. I could still have a relationship with him, but obviously with some healthy boundaries. But I could also break that That generational sin for my kids. I didn't have to pass it down to them. I could be different. So here I was again, surrendering that control, that hurt, and that anger to the Lord. But this time it wasn't just hurt caused by somebody else, it was hurt caused by me to myself and to every single person I loved most in this world. I remember trying to figure out how to go out into the world. I was free, I was forgiven. I couldn't live my life in hiding. Jesus calls us to live in the light, and so I was like, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to walk out, and I am who I am. I'm forgiven, and so here I go. There were some incredible people that God placed in my path to love me and encourage me and remind me that I am loved and that I am not defined by what I had done. But there were a few others that just weren't quite ready to accept this new and redeemed Courtney. Y'all, I've gone to so many ball games 30 and 45 minutes early just to avoid having to walk in front of everybody. Just praying, at least one person would say hello to me so that I could sit down and just kind of become invisible in that crowd. There was one particular time that hit way harder than others. I was finally really beginning to catch my breath. I was happily remarried. My kids were doing well. We were out running errands one day. And I saw a woman that I had known for years, had known her before my prodigal journey and living in a small town. Let's be real, she had a front row seat to all of it. And I looked up to say hello. And I saw it all over her face. She only saw my sin. I was never going to be anything more than, than that. Now we're from the South, so, you know, asked how she was doing, commented on how big the kids were getting and everything. And, you know, we just said our small talk and went on about our business. And I kept myself together. But I remember when I, I got home and I was in the kitchen and when my husband walked in from work, I just kind of fell into his arms and started crying. And I said, at what point do I get to take my scarlet letter off? What point do I get to see as forgiven and not defined by my sin? He said, you get to take it off now. And he looked down at me with a big smile on his face. And he said, what do you always tell me and the kids? And I looked up at him and kind of rolled my eyes. And I said, you can't change people. You can only change your reaction to people. And he said, yeah. He said, so you know what? We're going to love her because she's just as broken as we are. And God reminded me in that moment. People can't undo the sin that we're judging them for any more than we can undo the sin of judgment that we're using to condemn them. Again, God has been way more gracious to me than I ever deserve. He has surrounded my husband and I with a small group who, it's kind of comical, unbeknownst to us, (laughs) Everybody but one couple in the group is divorced, and so they can understand some of the quirks about our blended life that nobody else can, and they can love us well. Everybody in that group knows my story, and they have never one time looked at me differently. There's also a lot of people in that group who are in the recovery community. That has been one of the greatest gifts that I could ever be given because though our sins all have different names, we're walking in amends together. And they have reminded me on a consistent basis that you make your amends and then you offer that to the Lord because we can't control it. It is not our job to heal. It is our healer's job. So he has given me this group of accountability and this group of recovery. And so I tell you these these examples of hurt and pain in my life because there may be people who hear this and they are walking this. And they're like me and words of affirmation are their thing. And so they don't know how to turn off that negative script in their head. And maybe they don't have anybody around them just yet to say you're loved and you are not defined by what you've done. But I'm here to tell you that we are all sinners standing at the foot of the same cross. Now, like I said earlier, that fog that kind of came over me lasted for about three years and I think it lasted that long because there is a real enemy out there. Though I had confessed all of my sin, I had called it by name. I was no longer living in open rebellion. There's an enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring mind, looking for someone to devour. John 10.10, 10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. All those sins that I named earlier were now being replaced, unfortunately, with guilt and with shame, embarrassment, fear, condemnation, again, unbelief. I still couldn't see things clearly. I would limit myself. I would constantly live in fear of what others would think of me. How was I affecting them? How was I going to be received? How would I go out and talk about Jesus or minister to people after all that I had done? Like I knew better. So again, I went back to the promises of scripture. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Did I believe that God was going to replace my fear with power? One of my favorite mentors in Texas, I loved he and his wife so, so much. He used to always walk up to me when he would see me struggling and having a frustrating day. And he said, do you believe the Bible is true, Courtney? And I would say, well, of course. (laughs) And he would say, oh, no. Do you believe that it's true, regardless of your emotions, your circumstances, and your cultural trends? And then I would always stop and look at him. And so I asked myself that question again. Do I believe the Bible's true? Do I believe that God has to replace my fear with power? Do I believe that my God has forgiven me that I need to live like it? Isaiah 61. Again, golly, one of those pivotal passages. If you're familiar at all with the book of Isaiah, it's obviously a book of judgment. I mean, God's people are acting crazy and not making wise choices. <laughs> there are enemies after them. You know, they do go into captivity. But God rescues them, and he brings salvation and hope. And in 61, he talks about the rebuilding. He wants to rebuild those cities. God wants to rebuild my life. He wants to rebuild yours. But in the rebuilding process, some things will look similar, but nothing will ever look the same. My restored life will look different from the past, but it will be just as beautiful, if not more. I can't constantly try to replicate and go back to was or who I was before. I focus on the beauty of the new life, and I look ahead. Our pastor always reminds us that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror for a reason. I sit here today, a woman with scars, and I left a lot of scars. But what I've learned is I can make amends for what I have done, and then I have to hand those people over to the Lord because He is our ultimate healer. Again, I cannot control the healing process. In Isaiah 61.3 is when He promises beauty from our ashes. God does not see my ashes. He sees my beauty. The last covenant that God made in the Old Testament was the Davidic covenant. Before Jesus came to fulfill the law, He promised to keep one from the line of David and the line of Jesus. If you've ever read Matthew 1, there's a lot of sinners listed there. There's harlots, there's murders, there's adulterers. So if God can use those people, he's not done with us either. One of, again, those beautiful lessons that I have learned from this amazing group that's in recovery is that you always replace those, those lies from the enemy and those definitions of your past with gratitude constantly being grateful for what God is doing constantly keeping the goodness of God on the forefront of your mind. And the last part of this of this passage that God used to really grab a hold to me in Isaiah 61 is verse 7. It says instead of your shame you shall have a double honor and instead of confusion they shall rejoice in their portion therefore in their land they shall possess double everlasting shall be theirs double is used twice god is so good to me he is way better to me than i deserve so i came into my marriage with three babies three kids that i love more than life itself god has now given me six i have two bonus sons and then we have one on the way god has doubled my portion i did not deserve that God is so good. So let me just end with this. I am not defined by my past. I have been made new in Jesus. And so are you.
2: Such a beautiful reminder that Courtney ends with of just that I've been made new in Jesus and so have you. You know, as I said at the beginning of this story, it really, to me, is just a reminder of recognizing, as God's Word tells us, that the devil prowls Mm -hmm, around mm -hmm. like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I think he did that with her. He took a moment in her life where she let her guard down, where she experienced something horrific, let her guard down, and he just jumped at the opportunity. And she, you know, she says she knew all the verses. She knew all the truth. And I think that that we have to be aware that there is spiritual warfare, and we do have to, as Ephesians chapter six tells us, put the armor on every day and ask God for that protection from Him. But in addition to that, she also teaches us through her story that He doesn't, leave, God doesn't leave us there. That even though we allow that window to crack open sometimes, He comes
1: in and He saves us and He offers us that forgiveness. You know, I think it's so easy. To find yourself, especially after something traumatic, like the loss of her father, it's so easy when you're in a fog and you're in grief and you're in hurt to really isolate that's mm-hmm. that's such a normal reaction, and especially as somebody who's been a long time believer yeah. in ministry to go, Yeah, but I know Jesus is there. like I think I actually said this on the <laughs> on the season six wrap up <laughs> that sometimes it's really you know you're in a tough place with the Lord. And what a reminder, like you just said, that the enemy is there mm-hmm. to devour. And in your place of wanting to isolate and just that fog that you're living in, kind of just sit back mm-hmm. and it is no time at all before mm-hmm. the enemy takes mm-hmm. over. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. warning bells right. when I heard this story to go,
3: really, this is all of us. That's yeah. right. And and there's no greater place than families, marriages, yeah, us as women. Yeah. We're quite the targets, no doubt. There was so much to Courtney's story, and I just appreciated her vulnerability and transparency. It is not easy for a woman to step up and say the things, and confess the things, and admit the things. And so her bravery in claiming that forgiveness mm-hmm. and removing that scarlet letter that was mm-hmm. powerful when she mentioned that. I just I, I want to go with, like have coffee with her. <laughs> um, but in in those deep dark nights, she said. That that was hard because it was silent, Mm -hmm. but she could hear the voice of the Father. She could hear the Holy Spirit. And it reminds me of those verses that say, you know, my sheep can hear my voice. They know my Mm -hmm. voice. And even though she was in that darkness, it was just what you're saying, Katie, the light was trying to break through. God was was saying, come back to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Come back to me. There were so many great quotes. Yeah. Um, y'all, y'all have heard me say I'm, you know, president of the Judgy Baptist, and you know, for for her to say people can't undo the sin that we're judging, no more than we can undo our judging. Um, yes. I paraphrase that, but, but yes. I mean that kind of hit me between the eyes. And then something that she said a little later than that is, all of us being, we are all sinners. And we are all yeah. at the same cross. Mm-hmm. We are all at the bottom of the same cross.
2: Yeah. And I also love that she she took the quote from Romans 2, 4 where it says it was the kindness mm. of the Lord that led her to that repentance. It was his kindness, you know, reaching out to him, piercing her heart to come back to him. And and I think that, you know, leaning into that during the moments when you know that you've messed up and the world around you is mm-hmm. judging you because of it. Mm-hmm you have to go and run into the kindness of the lord and you have to run to the lord I loved the imagery that she gave about the prodigal son of just you know that she was the prodigal daughter and she she ran back to him and he met her you know throwing his arms around her and it didn't matter what the other brother was doing right the other brother was mad mm-hmm. that was the world that was mad that the kindness of the lord just brought her back in but it's so many like you said Lindy we do have transcripts on our podcast that are located on our website so If you want to go and look at those transcripts and get all of these, she had so many, like you said, Lindy, not only quotes that she said, but scripture references that were so good and so sound to hold on to, especially if you might be in a season of of turning from the Lord.
1: And you know, for me, one other area that really spoke to me was the difficulty of accepting forgiveness. Mm. As I heard her story, that definitely hit. And when she went to her counselor about it and the counselor said have you asked for forgiveness yes i have <laughs> but i feel like i need to keep asking and keep asking cuz and i got that yeah. but then when her counselor said walk in your forgiveness because if you don't it will teach your kids that god forgives all sin sins unless it's a big one like their moms yeah mm. i mean that hit me between the eyes mm-hmm. of what are we teaching our kids what are we receiving ourselves like god forgives everything except the really big things mm-hmm. for those we need to grovel <laughs> and we need to pay our penance yeah. for the mm-hmm. really big things right i mean that was pretty eye opening mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because I probably would think the exact same way, yeah. and and that's another tool of the enemy. Sure,
3: you know, well, just that, yeah. the, that you're not worthy. You're not. You're not completely forgiven. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you could be. Yeah. Well, guess what? Through the blood of Jesus, we are. <laughs>
2: that's right. And if we and if we're always looking in the past, you use that analogy. You know that the rear the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. Look I'm out! I ask that on my yes, stories I'm, today. I
3: know. It's just <laughs> I love it, that. Yes.
2: It's it's such an important reminder because so often we do. Think back on our past, and it just keeps us stagnant in our spiritual walk, and we're not able to step into what God really is calling us to do. So, today, our challenge to you is to sit before the Lord and really accept
1: His forgiveness in whatever, you know, as we've been talking about, we're all sinners, we all fall short. Yeah, whether you find yourself struggling with the side of being forgiven, or you find yourself. Judging others, <laughs> I think there's two places where we can find ourselves in this story. Just ask the Lord to reveal that to us this week as we sit with them. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you loved Courtney's story. Please share these stories. Well, it's the best way for the word to get out about the podcast. But more importantly, it's the best way for people to find hope is through stories of the Lord and how He has encountered us. And so, share this story with a friend. Post it on your social media and tag us at Storytellers Live Podcast. And thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.